Welcome to the Adventure Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here. Today we have Micah McDonald from Mac Ministries speaking. Micah Mac has a powerful message called From Death to Life. When you sit at the feet of Jesus and simply believe, He will always turn your ugly and broken into something good and beautiful. Are you willing to let Jesus write your story? We hope you enjoy this message. Well, good morning, Siren, Wisconsin. It's good to be with you guys. And uh, before I get started, I want to welcome all the live streamers that are joining today. And uh, thank you for taking the time to live stream. But before I hop into it, I actually love to lead out this way every time I speak because you saw it follow the life of Jesus. But can we just take a second and can we honor our lead pastors, Pastor CJ and Cheryl, uh, for doing an amazing job leading this church and the staff that's here. Thank you for following Jesus and saying yes to the call to pastor where he's called you to pastor. I get the privilege and opportunity to travel across America uh, and, sp and speak literally in all different kinds of congregations. And when I drove into Siren today, I saw the town population of 800 some people. And uh, yeah, it's amazing. And I know we have people who come from other towns as well. But can I just say, when I stepped into the lobby out there and I saw the buzz, there was like an electric buzz that was going of people meeting one another, saying hi to one another, kids running around, grandparents here. Y'all, what God is doing in Siren is amazing. We better give him a big clap for what he's doing and who he is. It's incredible. And so thank you for leading the way here. It's amazing. Uh, I thought how I'd get started off today is something that I do typically on Sunday morning services because by this point, some of you, the coffee is just now starting to hit, but you're still a little woozy and still kind of waking up. And so here's what I need you to do. Please do not punch the person next to you. Maybe you've been waiting to hit your husband for a while. Don't do this, okay? But I need everybody, this will be fun, I need everybody to put your hands out to your side like this. Don't punch your neighbor. Hands out to your side like this, every person, grandparents, you name it, everybody. And on the count of three, I want you to clap above your head. Okay, one, two, three. One, two, three. One, two, three. Congratulations, as you are all now Minnesota Vikings fans. Congratulations. This is so happy a bunch of people in Wisconsin just became a Vikings fan today. I love seeing it. It's great. And I love that your lead pastor, who diehard Packers guy, just became a Vikings fan today. That's amazing. That was worth it right there. That was worth it all right there. A bunch of Wisconsin fans. True story. I preached in, true story, I preached in Green Bay and uh, had the whole Green Bay church smack dab in Packer territory. Smack dab. I literally have seen, not seen like this ever in my life where giant men stood up and started like yelling at me saying, get off the stage. Like I have never, like. I've preached in a lot of places and never felt afraid for my life except being in Green Bay and watching all these Packer diehards just lose their minds. It was amazing. And I've never been invited back. Never been invited back, but that's okay. I uh, know it's fun to be with you guys, and I typically travel, uh, not alone, but I usually travel with someone, and the, the someone that I usually travel with the majority of the time is actually my wife. And I brought a picture of my wife. Uh, we met at a university called North Central University, which is in downtown Minneapolis, and uh, I thought I had zero chance 
with her, uh, but God made a way for a brother who needed a way desperately, and uh, I don't know if any other men can attest to that, but um, that's my wife, Steph, and we've been married now for seven years, going on eight, and we were full-time youth pastors. She was a full-time worship pastor, and we felt like God said, go, be obedient, just go, and so it meant taking a full-time salary, great benefits, having a house, and literally leaving that for zero dollars, but the last two and a half years, ever since God told us to go, we have watched him just do incredible things. And my wife's not with me this weekend because I started on a preaching tour on Friday night in Maplewood, Minnesota. Then Saturday morning, we went to Baxter, Minnesota, which is two hours away from my house. Then we drove an additional two hours to get up to Bemidji last night. And then I made my way to Siren to be with the great people of Siren, Wisconsin today. So... It's great to be with you guys. I brought a picture of my baby girl here. This is a picture of Everly, and um, she's adorable. She's beautiful, but there's something unique with the picture. My wife, she set out some clothes on a Sunday morning. She goes, Mike, I got to get to church early. Can you dress our baby? And I'm thinking to myself, how hard is it to dress a baby? Like, it's not that difficult. You know, it's pretty easy. It's not rocket science. And so I dress my baby like that. And I bring her into church all proud, a proud dad who could dress a baby. I love carrying my daughter and I carry in. And these group of moms notice me when I walk into church and they look at my baby. And the moms are looking at me a little funny. I'm like, you know, what, what, what's the deal? What did I do wrong? You know, why are you judging me? And a mom pulls me aside and she goes, Micah, did you, did you happen to dress your, your baby this morning? <laughs> I said, yeah, my wife gets here early for church. I, I dress my daughter. Isn't she cute? Look at this girl. And she goes, Mike, I just need to tell you, when you dress a baby, first you put on the onesie and then you put on the pants, okay? And if you're a man out there today and you saw this picture and saw nothing wrong with it, neither did I, okay? Neither did I. The baby's got clothes on, it's fine. The baby's fine. What else does it need? It's got some clothes on. You know, I'm a man. When I wake up in the morning, I put on my pants first, then my shirt. How hard is it? Supposedly, there's methods to dressing your kids nowadays. It's crazy. What's the world come to? My word. Anyway, that's my daughter, Everly. Here's an updated picture of Everly. She's uh, three and a half now, and she's a little cutie, and uh, we typically travel together as a family. And then this is the next picture of my son, Malachi. And uh, <laughs> Malachi looks like his mom, thank God. I mean, uh, and so he's got his mom's looks, but that's my family. And um, uh, I'm going to title a message today that I'm going to preach to you called From Death to Life. And is there anybody here who's ever had maybe a near-death experience or you have a fear of something? Maybe you're afraid of spiders or heights or maybe it's uh, public speaking. If I were to give you the microphone, you might be afraid. On the count of three, would you out loud just share your, your biggest fear? Okay, on the count of three. One, two, three. Cats. Cats, okay. And then some, that's what it sounded like to me. Well, for me, growing up, one of my biggest fears was somebody breaking into my house. And I think the reason why I was so afraid of someone breaking into my house was because I remember multiple nights, uh, I would go to the bathroom in the middle of the night, whatever, but I look out my window and I would see somebody sitting in the trees across the street staring at my house late at night. And I'd go wake up my dad and say, Dad, they're out there again. My dad would call the police. Police would drive by with their giant spotlights. I'd watch it happen. And you'd see someone jump out of the trees and start running from the police, okay? So I had a valid reason. Like, there's a reason why I slept with golf clubs in my room, okay? 
not because I'm good at golf, but if some dude's going to come to my house, he's going to get a putter to the head. I just like, I'm going to protect myself. But I remember there was a time, I'm the oldest in my family, and they got three younger sisters, and my dad looked at me one night and goes, son, I'm going to take your sisters to the grocery store. You want to come with us and we'll have a good time? I'm like 20 years old, 21. I go, dad, I've been surrounded by women my whole life. Dad, why don't you take him to the grocery store? I'm going to have some alone man time. Like, just, I need some man space. I need to think clearly, okay? You take him. You get him. He goes, okay, son, I get it. You stay home. I'll take your sisters to the grocery store. So my dad leaves, and uh, I do what any man does. I flip on some sports center, and I'm watching the TV just to make my mind zone out a little bit. And uh, I pop some popcorn, but as I'm watching TV, it's about 8 o'clock at night. The sun's already set. It's a night around October. I see a figure staring in the window looking at me while I'm watching TV. And I see this person. I, all I can see is their outline, but I saw a figure staring at me watching TV. I immediately run up the stairs, open up the door, and I'm like, hello. Hello. I saw you. And don't you dare try to break into my house, because if you do, I work out every day, I have a beard, and if you come into my house, I will jack you up. So you best stay out of my house. And I immediately shut the door and found every lock imaginable. Because on the outside, I looked tough. But on the inside, I was like, I'm going to die. Oh, my word. My biggest fear is a reality. And so how many of you know when you're freaked out and you're home alone and you're 20 years old, you have to turn on every light in the house. You know what I mean? Like you can't have any dark rooms. And just turning on every light in the house is freaky. Like it's scary. It's like an adventure. Like how many of you know if you go and you open up the door slowly, what happens? Your, your hand gets chopped off. You know what I mean? Like so you got to do it quickly. So it's like, like clear. We're good. You know? Okay, that room's clear. And so here I am, 20, 21 years old. Every light is on in the house. I am freaked out of my mind. I know what I saw. And then I remember I forgot one thing. Back around the left, my dad has an office, and the screen door was shut, but the sliding glass door was left open so a breeze could come in. I'm sitting on the couch. The office is back around the left, and I slowly hear the screen door begin to open up. And all I hear is just... And then I heard the door shut. <laughs> I'm sorry. I can't do that to you guys. I'm sorry. I'll stop. I hear the door shut. And I hear somebody. I hear footsteps in my dad's office. And I'm, my face is glued to the left to see who's going to turn the corner. And I'm saying, hello, hello. True story. The scariest mask I have ever seen in my life. All I see is a head come around the corner like this and stare at me for three seconds. And then he pulls his head around the corner like that. And when I saw that, I was like, ah! You know how you scream so loud, but it's just air? Your stomach's up here, like, ah! And I'm thinking to myself, why do you got to do the head thing? Like, why do you got to do this? Like, if you're going to destroy me, just come in and get it over with. Like, why do you got to? And the guy comes around the corner, and he's like, give me your wallet. Give me your wallet. And I'm like, all right, but it's, it's wet. Here, here you go. 
and the guy takes off his mask, and it was my dad. And my dad said, son, the look on your face, you were so terrified that as your father, I could no longer keep doing this to you. I'm like, gee, dad, you're a good one. You're a good dad. Thanks, dad. My dad had an idea as he was driving to the grocery store with my sisters. He's like, hey, girls, I got an idea. Yeah, dad, what is it? You want to freak the living daylights out of your brother? Yeah, dad, yeah, 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 yeah. My dad parked the car two blocks down the road, locked him in, came around the back of the house and freaked the living daylights out of me. I just want to say, in one moment, I literally thought I was going to die and my life was over. But in the very next moment, it was like I had life again and I knew I could breathe. I don't know if you've ever had a moment of going from a place of death to a place of life in an instant. But when I think of going from death to life, I think about a story of a brother and two sisters who hung out and did life together. And some of you in the room, you have siblings. You have people you grew up with. It was your home life. It was your family. But this brother and two sisters was maybe similar to your experience. You pick on one another in the early stages. You wrestle. You fight. You have your drama. You have your discrepancies. But something happened to this brother and these two sisters that changed their life. And what it was is when this brother and these two sisters ended up encountering Christ. And what ended up changing about their relationship was because when they met Christ and Christ encountered them, their life changed. How they interacted with each other changed. Their relational dynamic changed. And there was a moment where the brother was getting sick and his sister said, hey, you should go to the hospital and get checked out or go to the doctor. And the brother hated doctors, didn't like medical stuff. Like, no, I'm fine. It's just a cold. But it got worse and it got worse to the point where the brother went to the doctor. And when he went to the doctor, the doctor ran some scans and did some labs, and when the labs came back, the doctor sat the young man down and said, son, do you have a family? And he goes, yeah, I got, you know, two sisters and a parents. I got family. He goes, son, what I'm about to tell you, you're going to need your family and your life to get through this because, son, you actually have a terminal disease, and there is no medical cure for you, and you have maybe about a couple months to live. And the son hearing this news is like, yeah, right, well, you know, whatever, this can't be true. Like, I'm fine, I'm, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. He goes, no, son, here's the results. I'm sorry to tell you this. You need your family in your life. You're going to need them in your life to get through these next couple months. Get home, go get your family involved. He runs home, gets to the house, and when he gets to the house, his sisters are there, family's there, and he comes in and he goes, guys, I don't know how else to say this, but the doctor said I have a couple months left to live. And the sisters start to freak out and start crying a little bit. And then the sisters look at their brother after an hour or two goes by and say, hey, you know what? Remember when Christ encountered us and we've seen Jesus heal before? Well, here's the deal, brother. We're not going to stop believing and not going to stop praying until we see you get healed. And you have a testimony for your story in your life. So every day these sisters would encourage their brother, hey, don't give up. Jesus is going to do a miracle. Don't work up. Keep believing. And as they kept praying and as they kept believing, the sickness grew worse and worse to where the doctor looked at the brother and said, hey, you got maybe about a week left. You're going to be on bed rest in your home and you need to call every relative, every family member and get them around your bedside right now. 
Sisters heard the news. Rather than letting it discourage them, they kept praying. They kept believing, saying, we're going to keep believing God for a miracle. We've watched Jesus heal people before with their own eyes. We're not going to stop praying and believing for Jesus to show up. And they kept praying and they kept believing. To when all the family was around this boy, and right in front of him, the boy ends up taking his last breath and ends up dying on the spot. And these sisters, after their mourning, after their crying, after their wailing, start to say this kind of statement and start to say this kind of thought to Jesus. Let me know if you've been here before. Jesus, if you would have shown up just how you have before in other people's lives, Jesus, if you just would have shown up, my brother wouldn't have died. Jesus, the God you say who you are in your Bible, the miracle-working God, the way-maker God, if you just would have shown up like we asked for three months, our brother wouldn't have died. And that right there is the tension that so many of us can experience and live with in our lifetime. Knowing the reality of who Jesus is, studying his life, knowing his character. But what happens when God doesn't show up? What happens when you pray and you don't hear? What happens when somebody walks out in your life and you start saying, Jesus, if you just would have shown up? What happens when a dad leaves you and abandons you? Jesus, if you just would have shown up? What happens when you're in that moment of tension? Because that is called reality for maybe potentially somebody here today. And you want to know what I simply want to do? I simply want you to look at Jesus in his life when you see the tension that you're living in, maybe in the current moment that you're in today. Jesus does a few things. And by the way, if you think I made that story up, you can Google it or you can open your Bibles to John chapter 11 where you see two sisters by the name of Mary and Martha and a brother by the name of Lazarus. All I did was put it in a modern-day context so you can understand the tension that's going on in the story when Jesus shows up. In John chapter 11, Jesus gets word. By the way, if you're new here, super glad you're here. But here's what you need to understand about Jesus. You know who his really good buddies were? His really good buddies was a dude by the name of Lazarus. Lazarus ends up getting sick, and the sisters say, oh, no problem. Our brother's sick. Oh, we don't got to worry about this. We got Jesus. We know Jesus, and we watched him here all the time. Hey, go get Jesus. Go get word and go send word for Jesus. Get him here so our brother doesn't have to die, but our brother can be healed. So they send word for Jesus. The word comes to Jesus that his really good buddy is sick. Lazarus isn't feeling well. He's probably going to die. And listen to Jesus' response in John chapter 11, verse 4. It says, when Jesus heard this, he said, this is crazy, this sickness, it won't end in death. No, it's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. I just want to stop on that one verse and say this real quickly to somebody in the room. Not everything bad that happens to your life is because of someone named the devil. Not everything bad you experience or you go through is because of an enemy. But could it be that the very thing you're walking through today, could it be that the very thing you're experiencing, God's been wanting to get a whole lot of glory from that situation and that moment in your life, but if you would just take your hands off the steering wheel and let God be God, you might just watch how God gets a lot of glory through it. But oftentimes when we experience things we don't like and things we endure that we don't want, oftentimes our first response rather than trusting a great God is controlling our own destiny and fate.
And the stronger you squeeze to your own control, the stronger you try to hold on, the worse it becomes because you realize you are never meant to be God over any situation in your life. That was reserved for only one person and him alone. And Jesus says, hey, disciples, time out. I know he's sick. I know what's going on. But if you would just trust me and wait long enough, you might see how God's about to get a lot of glory through this. So many of us quit before we see God's glory come. So many of us stop before we watch God intervene and do a miracle. So many of us say, forget God. This happened in my life. I lost my dad. I lost my mom to cancer. Lost my grandpa. Forget God. I'm done with this. When all the while, Jesus is just saying, just hold on a second. Watch how I can work on your good for your life. Watch how I can move in your life. It might not come today. It might not come tomorrow. But are you willing to just trust me and see what I can do with it? That's the nature of Jesus. And then he looks at his disciples and says, all right, it's been two days. Let's go visit Lazarus. Now, time out. You got to... You got to understand this. For Jesus to go where Lazarus is, he's dead in a tomb. For Jesus to show up there, it means going back to the very place where he was almost stoned to death. In John chapter 10, Jesus is almost stoned to death, threatened to be stoned. Jesus escapes, he leaves. For the disciples to follow Jesus to where Lazarus is means, oh, we're all going to die. And that's what Thomas says. Thomas says, okay, let's go die with Jesus. Here we go. Got to love Thomas. I love the personality of the disciples because it's like you and I. And then in verse 17, something unique happens. In John eleven seventeen, 17, it says, On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Everybody say four days. That's important, and you'll see why. It says, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. Many Jews had come to comfort Martha and Mary in the loss of their brother. Which, by the way, funerals today, when we do funerals, we might do a one-hour service at a church. After the service, we might go have a chicken salad croissant sandwich with some potato chips, a pickle spear, and a cookie. Then maybe go to a grave site, and then the funeral's done. When somebody died in Jewish culture back then, family would travel far and wide to get to be with the mourning family. And for seven days straight, you would hear them cry, wail, and mourn for seven days straight. In other words, everybody in the town of Siren or in the neighborhood would know somebody died because you would hear the crying and the wailing of family members. Sometimes they would stay for up to 30 days with that family member. Many came to comfort Mary and Martha. And then it goes on to say, it says, Martha heard that Jesus was coming, so she went out to meet Jesus. But Mary stayed at home. Listen to this tension. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you would have been here, if you would have shown up, if you would have come like we asked, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. How about those first words to Jesus when you see him show up? That's honest. That's really brutally honest. But you want to know what I love about Jesus? All he's been looking for is your honesty. Because you can be brutally honest with Jesus. In fact, take your honesty to Jesus over anybody any day. Bring it before him. Speak it to him. You're angry. You're frustrated. Tell him. Be honest with him. If he would have shown up, my brother wouldn't have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Then verse 23. This is powerful. 
Jesus senses the tension. He knows people are wailing and crying. Martha, Martha accuses him the first words out of her mouth. And Jesus slices the tension right in half. Looks Martha in the eyes and says this in verse 23. Martha, your brother will rise again. Very first words out of his mouth. Jesus was speaking something in the present of something that happened in the past. Lazarus has been dead four days. It took place in the past. And he's saying, Martha, your brother's going to rise again. If you're taking notes, your first point is this. Jesus, he gets the final word about your past. He gets the final word about it. Not your mama, not your grandma, not your school teacher, not anybody else. There's only one person who gets the final word about something that happened in the past, and it's Jesus. Four days ago it happened, and Jesus is addressing something in the present. But no, what breaks my heart is how many of us live from places of our past and missing out in a present relationship with Jesus right now. How many of us constantly look in the rearview mirror of our life and we go back to the places of wounds and we go back to the places of hurts and we go back to those different places? We were never called to stare in a rearview mirror, but let God our Father be the driver and us the passenger to where we have no sight of a rearview mirror whatsoever. And he's sitting right next to us saying, look ahead. I got this. But how many of us list from a place of past? You want to know why the devil always brings up your past? You want to know why he's always shoving your past sins in your face and your past failures? Is because the devil has no future. And all he has to go off of is your past. What was replaying in Martha's mind over and over? He's not here. It's day three. He's not here. It's day two. He's not here. Jesus isn't around. It's like he doesn't even care. Thinking on the past, losing a brother, if you would have shown up. And Jesus speaks right to it and gets the final word about it. I'll just say this. Apart from what Jesus did on a cross, you and I would be lost in our past. But because Jesus showed up and was obedient to a heavenly father, you don't have to keep living in the past. Because he always got a final word about it. You can walk free in who he made you to be because of his son Jesus and what he did for you. It's powerful. It's the gospel. You can be set free from that. And if there's anybody in here who has a past, it's me. I shouldn't be on a stage today talking to people across America. The things I've endured, the things I've went through. Growing up, I had a dad who loved my mom and loved my family, my siblings. And my dad was a local firefighter in the community. He owned his own business. My dad was a volunteer youth pastor at a church plant. I remember when the youth group would meet in my downstairs basement. And I remember as a 10-year-old sneaking down the basement and watching young people get on their face and seek Jesus. And I just wanted to be in the presence. And my dad said, son, you're not old enough, buddy. You got to get upstairs. But when you hit 11 or 12, you can come down and be a part of the youth group. But before I could ever hit 11 and 12, I remember multiple nights hearing my mom crying herself to sleep in her bedroom. My mom's bedroom was across the hallway. I'd open up the door and see my mom crying herself to sleep. I'd get on the edge of the bed. Mom, why are you crying? Mom, what's going on? Mom, what's the big deal? Only to realize that my dad was gone at the bars late at night, coming home drunk, 2 in the morning, 3 in the morning, stumbling in drunk, doing things that only I knew that was going on. My younger sisters didn't know. And then 
Rather than opening up my dad's bedroom door and seeing him read the Bible, I'd open up the bedroom door and my dad would have hard drugs out on the table or on the bed. And my dad would quick try to cover up the drugs, stuff them in his pocket and be like, oh, son, son, why don't you go in and watch the football game? I'll be in a little bit. Hey, son, don't you worry about it. I remember seeing that as a young boy, witnessing these things. And then watching my dad cheat on my mom with multiple women, having multiple affairs, seeing things as a young boy I never should have seen. And I'll never forget the moment where my dad sat me and my three sisters down in the living room and said, son, daughters, kids, I'm leaving your mom. I'm never going to step foot inside a church ever again. This is my life. This is who I'm going to be. And boom, my dad leaves. And now I become the man of the house at the age 12. And I wonder how many people have a past wound like that. Or you've watched a dad walk out on your life. Or you've watched a mom lose something. Or you've watched trying to be raised in a single parent home. I just want to stop for a second. To every single mom that's in the house today, to every single dad that's watching online, I just want to say you're doing a good job. You're doing a good job. And the fact that you're taking time to watch a live stream or you're taking the time to get your kids to church, you're doing a good job. I want to encourage you. I was raised by a single mom at the age of 12. Not even a year after that, my younger sister's being tucked in bed one night. She's eight years old, and my mom comes across a big bump in her leg. And my mom said, Victoria, what's this? And she goes, Mom, it's just a bruise. Don't worry about it. My mom knew it wasn't just a bruise. Brought her to the doctor and found out there was a six-inch by eight-inch tumor wrapped around her femur bone. They did a biopsy on it, and they found out she had stage four synovial cell sarcoma cancer, and the doctors gave her a 20% chance to live. I just watched my dad walk out on my life. I've become the man of the house, and a year after, my eight-year-old sister was given a death sentence. Jesus, if you just would have shown up, my dad wouldn't have left. Jesus, if you just would have shown up, my sister wouldn't have stage four cancer. She's eight years old. How many of us live in those places? How many of us can relate to those scenarios? You fill in the blank. Had it not been for a single mom who brought her kids to church, and had it not been for God who's a father to the fatherless, had it not been for a God that continuously sanctifies and forgives my life, I would not be alive today. Had it not been for a God that got the final word about my past, I don't know where I'd be. It's the power of who he is. And when he looked at Martha that day and said, your brother will rise again, Jesus was declaring something in the present of something that happened in the past. Not only does Jesus get the final word about your past, but if you're taking notes, number two is Jesus, he lives in your present. He lives in your everyday. He lives in your present. Mary didn't even have the audacity to go see Jesus, probably still upset. But in verse 32, it says, Mary ran out to go see Jesus. And when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you would have been here, there it is again, my brother would have died. By the way, time out. Every time in scripture when you see the name Mary, she's always at the feet of Jesus. You want to know where a good, very good place is to posture your life? Learn what it means to posture your life at the feet of Jesus. In your sorrow, in your unbelief, in your grief, in your divorce, in your mess, in your fatherlessness, find a way to place yourself at the feet of Jesus. The best place you can ever find yourself is always at the feet of Jesus. Your honesty, your hurt, your pain, your wounds, bring it to the feet of Jesus. 
being honest, being real, being sincere. And there she is, and I love what Jesus sees in this woman's life. He sees honesty. But then in verse 33, it says, When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? Come and see, Lord, they replied. Listen to this, verse 35. It says, Jesus wept. Jesus wept, being fully man, being fully God, knew the weight of sorrow of losing a best friend by the name of Lazarus and watching some woman by the name of Mary who he loved so much, watching her cry out of her hurt and out of her grief. I don't know about you, but I thank God that he can resonate with every sorrow, that he can resonate with every trouble, that he can resonate with every pain that I've faced in my life. Jesus wept too. And how many of you know when you endure something really hard, you don't always want words. You just want somebody to cry with. Like, do you realize Jesus could have gathered everybody up in the house? Hey, don't worry, I'm here. Listen to my great speech to comfort your mind. No, Jesus mourned with those who were mourning. Jesus wept with those who were crying. That is the Savior that we serve. Every time you find yourself crying yourself to sleep, don't you dare think those are wasted tears, for he's catching every one of them. I remember playing softball on a summer night, and my father loved motorcycles. I grew up in a motorcycle home, and my dad had been in several motorcycle accidents, so much so that his leg was amputated above the knee, and my dad still rode motorcycles. And I get a... Uh, umpire stops the game. My sister's yelling from the dugout, Micah, we gotta go. Micah, Micah, we gotta go. And the umpire stops the game. I run in from the field and I get in the car. I say, Where are we going? What's going on? She goes, Micah, dad's been in a motorcycle accident. And I'm thinking, Dad's been in so many motorcycle accidents. The dude has nine lives. He'll be fine. And we get to the hospital and the doctor says, Hey, your dad is breathing. We got him hooked up on some honors. We'll let you go see your dad in a little bit. And uh, time kept ticking by. It got longer and longer, and uh, two hours go by, and we go to the doctors and say, hey, you said we could see him in a little bit. It's been two hours, and they say, why don't you follow me to this room? And they move us to a different room, and when they moved us to a different room, the doctor said, are you the oldest? I said, yeah, I'm the oldest. He said, son, I'm sorry to tell you this, but your dad's brainstem is completely crushed from the accident, and there's actually zero activity in his brain. And son, you're going to have to make a decision on what you want to do with your dad. And in that moment, it was like oh, someone took a fist and just went boom and punched me in the gut. Losing my breath, losing my mind, trying to be strong for my sisters. I remember leaving the hospital early because I didn't want my sisters to see me break down. And I go home into my downstairs room and I slam my fist on the bed. And I start screaming and I start crying. And in my greatest moment of grief and sorrow of losing my dad, I cannot explain it, but it was as if Jesus himself was around me, crying with me too. Holding me when I couldn't hold myself. Carrying me when I couldn't walk myself. It was a peace that surpassed my mind. I was weeping in the middle of it, but I felt so secure. I felt so safe. In my lowest moment, I sensed his grace and his nearness just how Mary could barely stand, Jesus wept too. It communicates this to me. Wherever you go, Jesus lives in your present. Everywhere you go, 
And you're like, well, I don't see Jesus. Well, he gave you something called a gift called the Holy Spirit who lives in you. Everywhere you go, his presence is in you. Everywhere you go, his spirit lives inside of you. Jesus is a present God. He gets the final word about your past. He lives in your present. And my last point today is this, is Jesus, you better believe, holds your future. He holds your future. And here's what I love about the story. He looked at Martha and said, your brother's going to rise again. But Martha's thinking he's going to resurrect in the last days. So she's like, okay, cool. Awesome. Yeah, sounds good. In the last days, Jesus meant right now. And know what's crazy? Is Jesus' final public miracle in his earthly ministry is the miracle that's about to take place. He literally saves the best for last. And you want to know what Jewish holiday was about to happen during this time? Something called Passover. What does that mean? It means hundreds of thousands of people would be traveling to Jerusalem to go celebrate the festival, which meant this. Where were the tombs in society? Tombs were outside the city, which meant this. Thousands of people would be walking by the tombs, the gravesite, where a rabbi by the name of Jesus is standing there about to do something crazy and mind-blowing. And now there's a crowd that's starting to form. And it says this in verse 38. It says, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. Time out. Every time in scripture, when you say, when you see that it says Jesus was deeply moved, he always followed it with action. There's people in the audience today where you get moved by something. God speaks to you. You're, you're convicted by something. Never let it be just a feeling. Turn it to action. Jesus allows you to feel, not so you can be a feely person, but so you can be an action person. It says Jesus was deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. And Jesus says this in 39, take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor. He's been in there for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Let's stop right here for a second. Somebody needs to hear this today. This message, that very verse is for someone right now. You're contemplating on quitting. You're contemplating on leaving. You're contemplating on throwing in the towel. And Jesus is saying to you, don't stop believing in me. Didn't I tell you if you just keep the faith, if you just keep putting your faith in me, if you just keep putting your trust in me, I have a future for you. I have things you don't even know about. I have a plan for your life. Don't go to the wayside. Didn't I tell you if you just believe in me? That's a word for somebody in the room today. Keep the faith. You know what I find really interesting? Why does Jesus show up four days late? This is dope. Don't miss this. And by the way, if you just heard the word dope, it doesn't mean marijuana and drugs, okay? It means like this is really cool. It's like, okay, anyway, you, you'll get it. Do you realize Jesus shows up four days late? But do you also realize Jesus never did things by accident? He always did it on purpose. Jewish beliefs were that it was possible for somebody to be resurrected within three days. After three days, their spirit departs and leaves. When does Jesus show up? When it's most impossible, on the fourth day. How many times does God love to show up in the impossible things in your life, 
not knowing the future, not knowing what it holds, but Jesus does. And when he shows up, it's always in the best time because it's his timing. He shows up four days late. Martha's saying, Jesus, look, he's, the odor's horrible. Like, he's bad odor. What are you doing taking away the tombstone? And then Jesus prays an amazing prayer. He says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. In other words, God, I'm saving this final miracle of my ministry, knowing full well that in a few days I'm going to die on a cross and three days later be resurrected. God, if they don't believe me now after resurrecting Lazarus, God, may they believe me when, three days after my resurrection, I'm raised to life. It was a paralleling miracle that was going to take place. Never did things by accident. He prays that they would believe in verse 43. When he said this, this is crazy. Jesus called in a loud voice. And I love how scripture says he used a loud voice. Because how many you know if you're going to preach to 15,000 people, people on a seashore on the Sea of Galilee, you have to And in a loud voice, Jesus called out and said, Lazarus, come out. The same voice that spoke the earth into existence. The same voice that took nothing and turned it into something. The same voice, that same voice looks at dead things and tells it to come to life. That is the power of the voice of God. That is the power of the voice of the Holy Spirit. He speaks to dead things. Lazarus, come out. <gasps> Breath enters his lung. Heart starts beating. Brain starts working. He comes out all wrapped up in his grave clothes. Walks out of the tomb. And then it says this. Jesus said to them, plural, take off the grave clothes and let him go. You know what I love about Jesus? Is Lazarus could have taken off his own grave clothes. But he looked at the people standing next to him and say, you take off the grave clothes. Why is this important? 50 days after Jesus dies and resurrected, something called Pentecost happened, where the Holy Spirit showed up on the believers. And that day, 3,000 people gave their life to Jesus, and something called the church was started that day. Why did Jesus start the church? So that you and I could be really good at taking off grave clothes of other people. So that we could do life together, so we could help each other. Because sometimes you think no one else sees the grave clothes, but everybody else does. And they're not here to judge you, they're there to help you. The reason why the church exists was to share with one another, encourage one another, believe with one another, pray for one another, confess sins to one another, develop a heart for lost people together. This is why God birthed something called the church. He knew he wouldn't come back until a second time. But in the meantime, something called the church would be plan A to reach the world. You take off the grave clothes. Jesus, he holds your future. And I know today we got people here where you get stressed out about the future. You look at your bank accounts and stress comes to mind. You look at your absence of retirement and stress comes to mind. You look at your broken home and that comes to mind. You need to know something. Jesus knows and he holds your future. My father who walked away from Christ said he never stepped foot inside a church. A year before my dad passed away, he texted me and said, son, I want to go to church. First time. 
But son, I want to pick the church. Okay, no problem. We went to a church in Minnesota called the Church of Open Door. He walks in the auditorium, wears sunglasses, didn't want people staring at his eyes. Wore sunglasses, sat down kind of in the middle section. I'm sitting next to him. And during worship, my dad can't stop crying. He can't stop weeping. There's something that happens when you get in the presence of God. It strips away every lie. It strips away every shame, every fear. It loves you to the core of who you are. The pastor gets up and says, we were supposed to start a new sermon series today. But I couldn't shake the thought that I needed to continue one more series on immorality. And the things the pastor addressed that day were everything my dad went through. The sermon was for my dad. My dad ends up coming back to Christ. A month before my dad passed away, my dad was asked to do the funeral service for my cousin who took his own life. And on the drive up, my dad says, son, I'm going to start the message for the funeral. But I want you to finish the message and give the altar call. Little did I know, the first and only time I would ever preach with my dad was at my cousin's funeral. A month after that, my dad passed away in a motorcycle accident. On the car ride home after the funeral, my dad would talk to me, Micah, I, I want to get into ministry again. Micah, I, I want to do revivals with you, Micah. I want to preach with you, Micah. I see a call of God on your life. These were some of the final words of my dad's life to me. Only Jesus knows the future. The very house that I grew up in experienced all the destruction. The very house where my dad sat me down and said, I'm going to leave you and leave my, my mom and, and divorce her. The very house where my dad was arrested and brought to jail because of an altercation with my mom. The very house where my sister battled cancer and battled for her life is the very house that my wife and I bought three years ago. And some would say, I would never want to go back to a place like that. But when you follow Jesus and live for him, he loves to take dead things, buy them back, and see them come to life again. He loves to see redemption takes place. He loves to see the story be rewritten that was once written with sin. That's who he is. Now every day, it's a place where I pray and spend time with my kids. And my kids don't know the story. They don't know my background. They don't know my life. But one day, they're going to hear the story of God's faithfulness in the home that they grew up in. My sister battled cancer for two years. She went through all the chemotherapy, all the radiation her body could handle. My sister went through over 15 surgeries in her lungs. The tumor spread from her leg to her lungs. It wasn't looking good. Make-A-Wish Foundation showed up and gave my sister a wish. Her final wish was to go swim with the dolphins in Florida. Here's mom and dad in a rental car, separated, fighting, bickering, and my sister's supposed to try to enjoy a final trip of her life. An evangelist came to town and heard about a story of my sister who was battling cancer, and he looked at her. He said, young lady, one day you're going to come to my church in Tennessee, and you're going to give a testimony on how God healed your body. Our church had been praying for two years for a miracle. My sister went in the doctor to go get scans on her chest to see where the tumors had gone. And when the doctor held up the scans, there were no more tumors in her body. She's been cancer-free now for over 15 years. The doctors at the hospital called her the miracle child. Still baffles people. Every child on that hospital floor died except for my sister. 
I don't know why God does what he does and when he does it, but I do know this. If you never stop believing in him and stay near to him and throw yourself at the feet of Jesus time and time again, he always turns ugly things into a beautiful story. Always. Always. I wonder what parent is in the room or grandparent today where, man, today was for you. A reminder to keep believing, to not stop giving up, to keep holding the faith, to know that he gets the final word about everything of your past. He lives right here in your present, wants to do life with you, but then he holds an amazing future. In fact, it's backed up in scripture when he says, you are my masterpiece. And by the way, I have really good works for you to walk in, meaning I have a really good future for you to walk in. That is powerful. Don't let the devil keep bringing up a past thing that Christ has already redeemed and forgiven. Stop letting him steal your joy because he has no future. He's been defeated. Hang into Christ. Draw near to him and he will draw near to you. Watch what God will do. I'm going to invite Pastor CJ up in a little bit to end service and close it out. But if everyone could bow their heads, close their eyes, no one looking around, Pastor CJ is going to come. I just want to ask a question here. If you came in the building today or you're watching online live right now and you are not following Jesus, like you are far from him or you've never given your life to Christ or you're sitting there being like, yeah, there's no way God would forgive me. Yeah, I've done this. I've messed up here. I've done this. If you want to come back to Christ or give your life to Christ on the count of three, I just want you to put up your hand. No one looking around just for me to see it. One. Two, you're going to give your life to Christ. Three, just put it up wherever you are. No one's looking around. Just keep it up. So cool. Just count about 16 people. You can put your hands down. I want everyone to repeat this prayer with me today. The greatest decision you can ever make is to surrender your control and trust Jesus. It's the greatest decision you'll ever make. And it's not just a decision you make one time. It's every day saying, Jesus, I am poor in spirit. Jesus, I am broken. Jesus, I need you to forgive me again. I need you to heal me again. I need you to save me again. And he will. Everyone say this with me. Say, Jesus, today's a new day. Not because of me, but because of what you've done. Jesus, would you forgive me of my sin? of my lostness help me to believe again Jesus I trust you I receive your forgiveness help me to follow you all the days of my life I lay down my situations I lay down my life so that you might be glorified in Jesus name I pray Amen. Church, would you clap for those 16, 17? That's amazing. Welcome home. Welcome home. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Adventure Church. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please consider supporting us. You can make an easy and safe donation on our website, www.adventurechurchsiren.com give. Thank you for your generous donation.